It is now time for Diary of a Wrestling Fan with Bill Chase. And now, here he is, the man who is the unofficial fifth member of the Truth Commission, Bill Chase. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Podcast Announcer. And yes, indeed, this is Diary of a Wrestling Fan, the podcast that chronicles my 33 amazing years being a fan of professional wrestling. I am Bill Chase, of course, and thank you all to last week who listened to the Daniel Bryan podcast. I got a lot of views, or views, what am I saying, streams, sorry, uh, YouTube is actually the one place where my show doesn't do very well. I'll get to that in a second, but thank you for listening on Anchor, Spotify, wherever podcasts are streamed. Either way, if you tuned in, I am happy. Also, if you are listening on YouTube, please subscribe, because really, again, nobody really listens to this podcast on YouTube. So, again, if you, but if by chance you do, please subscribe. Hit that subscribe button right now. And a great episode for you today. We're going to be chronicling one of the most talked about feuds and matches of the last 20 years, uh, Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels. Now, that was a storied feud, to say the least. Two icons, but again, the story all behind it, and obviously what went on backstage is just as interesting and whatnot. Mainly my perspective, of course, is from this as a fan. But, of course, I learned a lot about what had happened uh, later on. So, um, before we get to that, however, I do need to give a quick shout-out to Pro Wrestling Ontario. After this podcast is over, you can click the link right above in the video. If you're, well, that is, of course, if you're listening on YouTube, on the video, click the link above. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to Pro Wrestling Ontario as well. We got matches. We got promos. We got the backstage shenanigans of Foundation. We got complete shows. That's right. It's all there on Pro Wrestling Ontario's YouTube channel. And follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and give us a like on Facebook. We are everywhere. Check us out. We got some stuff coming up right around the corner, so stay tuned. All right, we're going to get down to it again. Hulk Hogan and Shawn Michaels. Again, that feud took center stage in the summer of 2005. Can't believe it's been 15 years since SummerSlam 2005 took place, the match between these two, of course, the big headliner. Uh, obviously, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but I must say that this show, I mean, obviously, you know, they had a lot of other marquee matches as well, but this show did draw a monster number on pay-per-view buys. From what my research tells me, 650,000 buys is the second most bought SummerSlam of all time, only second to SummerSlam 1998. So obviously the Hogan-Michaels match had a lot to do with that, I would assume. And of course the arena was sold out. Just a big night for wrestling. A lot of money drawn there. And hey, that's what it's all about. And you know, people can say what they want about Shawn Michaels, but it's all business when it comes down to it, especially in the latter part of his career. That's what he was primarily concerned about more than anything. All right. So the, the set of the story here. Now I remember in the, in, the, in 2005, the spring of 2005, I thought... Wrestling had a lot of positive things happening. Now, a lot of people might disagree, but really, if you think about it, in the world of wrestling, you had TNA. They were really hitting a stride uh, with their alternative product. And yes, there will be episodes about TNA pay-per-views I will be doing in the future. But also, I have to say that with the with WWE, John Cena and Batista had just become the guys. You know, I mean, they had just become the guys at spring. At WrestleMania that year, both winning their first championships in the same night. It was an era that 
people may frown on us the PG era, but really, logically, they were the guys you had to go with. They were the they were the ones, the baby faces that were giving the biggest reactions. They were the ones that the fans rallied behind leading up to WrestleMania. And you know what? Clearly, Vince McMahon and company saw that, and the rest is, as they say, is history. At that time, he also had some good stuff happening with some new novel concepts coming in. Money in the Bank had just debuted at that WrestleMania Edge, winning the first one. You had uh, the, the Undertaker engaged in a really interesting feud with Randy Orton, actually. So there was a lot of good stuff uh, happening in the uh, wrestling world at this point. And you know what? I gotta say, it was it was a lot of fun. The 2005 era. It's just like people go on about, you know, the Attitude Era. And again, I'm not going to criticize anyone who loved the Attitude Era. That I did. Of course I did. I was in high school and all this great, amazing, crazy, zany stuff was happening week after week on Raw. But it is true that sometimes wrestling has, again, wrestling has bad periods. Wrestling has good periods. It's been dating that way since. Dating back to the territories, I should say, sorry. That dating back to the territories, that's how it's always been. They, there's peaks and valleys. Uh, there's, good, there's good draws. There's bad draws. There's things that, you know, look good on paper, but they don't. it doesn't look, always uh, work out well in execution. And that's just how wrestling has always been. And the WWE is no different from that. They are not immune to it. Uh, but again, nine times out of ten, they're going to be making money. Or I should say 99 times out of 100, or maybe even 90, 999,999 times out of a million, hope became money. That might be a better analogy. But either way, um, I also want to say, too, that Cena and Batista, I was, not, I was not a diehard fan of either of them. Like, you know, I didn't buy their t-shirts, stuff like that is what I'm trying to say. But even I knew as a fan, just simply as a fan, that it made sense for them to be, you know... At the spots where they were. And I enjoyed them. Again, just because I wasn't, I guess, for lack of a better term, a mark for them that way. I did enjoy them. They delivered. They were delivering at this time. Uh, Batista was put over strong by Triple H three times in a row. Three shows in a row. Including WrestleMania. Uh, blowing off in a really good Hell in a Cell match. And... Cena at this point was actually in a pretty entertaining feud with JBL. Now, again, the JBL character has always been hit or miss for me. The guy could get amazing heat. But at this point, JBL and Cena, I thought they, I thought they always clicked pretty well. Uh, the WrestleMania match, I guess people didn't like. But the, the match they had at Judgment Day, that I quit match, was awesome. Like, that was a really freaking great match. So, yeah, there's that. Yeah, my, my whole thing was, as long as Cena and Batista were in engaging feuds and matches, much like probably any other uh, fan, I'd enjoy it. And at this point, I was enjoying both. I was enjoying both their title runs, to be honest. And also something else big happened at this time. Shawn Michaels had an incredible match at WrestleMania with Kurt Angle. It was one of the best matches in WrestleMania history. I think I even put it only second to Bret Hart and Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13, if, if I'm just going over my own personal list. I think it's easily in a lot of people's top five of WrestleMania matches of all time. Michaels and Angle had mad chemistry. I mean, finding chemistry uh, with Shawn Michaels, if you're up to the task, is e as easy as picking up picking up your phone and clearing notifications. I mean, <laughs> the, 
that's, you know, again, if anybody's up to the task, you're going to have good chemistry with Sean, and it's going to turn out amazing, and that's what that did. And also something else happened that weekend. WrestleMania weekend, Hulk Hogan was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Hogan had not really uh, had much of a relationship with the company at that point since 2003 after the Mr. America thing. Hogan left the company, I think, uh, early that summer, and he hadn't been around since. Uh, there was a lot of rumors going around about what he was going to do, where he was going to be, and again, like the DNA rumors popped up, and Japan, like stuff like that. Hogan was, again, a lot of things were happening, but he uh, he always comes back, it seems, even if it's after a long absence or a short one, like this one. He came back in 2005 for the Hall of Fame induction, and again, it was just a good time. It was really, I was 22 years old at this point. I, I just turned 22 shortly before uh, WrestleMania 21, and things were off and running, I think, for the WWE at this point. So, Hogan and Sean teamed up at Backlash uh, that year. And because uh, Sean was attacked by, it was a victim of an attack between Davari and Muhammad Hassan. He demanded a match. And Hogan, at his Hall of Fame speech, uh, you know, uh, when finishing one last, one more match or whatever, he just said, never say never. That's all he said. Hogan and Michaels teamed up to face uh, Davari and Hassan when Michaels had asked Hogan to be his partner. And, of course, the two iconic baby faces won. Even after Hogan and Michaels won that match, it didn't even occur to me that the two of them w would be building into a rivalry. For some reason, despite my jadedness at this point at times, it, just, it, it didn't occur to me that they would actually engage in a match. I just figured this was a, a good one-off for Hogan. Because, again, he hadn't wrestled much in the last couple of years. And I don't know. I thought this might have been it. And then, what was it? Uh, it was, uh, a Raw in early July uh, where Hogan made an appearance and was attacked by Carlito and Kurt Angle on the Carlito's Cabana segment. And Michaels made the save. Made perfect sense. Michaels makes the save, and then they have the big main event match. Hogan and Michaels, of course, win. And then a split second before the super kick happened, I'm like, wait, somebody's going to do something here. And as soon as I said that, boom, there it was. Didn't happen. I didn't expect maybe that exactly to be what happened. I just remember that, that visual of Sean looking down at Hogan, the commentary completely silent. Now, sometimes I don't like the fact that the commentary is silent during segments like this. But this is one of the times where it was appropriate because it was supposed to be sold as absolutely shocking. See me, I'm a believer in selling the situation in a big way, but there are occasions where there's just the silence works, and this was actually one of them. So, as the show ended, as the show went off the air with Sean still looking down at, at an unconscious Hulk Hogan, Michaels uh, challenged Hogan to a match. Hogan obviously later accepted. And man, the, we were set. We were in motion for what's said to be an epic match between two icons. Now, I look forward to any match of this magnitude with two legends, regardless of if I'm a huge fan of them or not. Now, Shawn Michaels 
I find myself cheering against him a lot. Maybe that's just still the whole Bret Hart thing. I don't know. There's a lot of times I cheer for him as well. You know what I mean? There's a lot of times I was behind him. But, again, I was a big Hogan kid growing up. And you know what? Uh, this this time, I was kind of like, I don't know. Do I really want to cheer Hogan this time? Like, maybe Sean, maybe, maybe I want Sean to win. I didn't know. I was looking forward to it. So, for the next couple of weeks, Sean went on super kicking a couple more legends. Uh, Piper, I think Lawler. And he was carrying the build-up all on his own. Not a bad thing, necessarily. Why? Because he's more than capable of doing it, for one. And for another, if Hogan can't be there every week, well, somebody's got to do it. So, uh, Sean tells a story in great detail about this whole situation on his uh, My Journey DVD. It's just a grab. It's a fantastic find. And he uh, he had told this story that, you know, Vincent created, they wanted the Sean from 1997. And any wrestling historian or anyone who's, who's not even a historian, I actually overstated that. Any wrestling fan who was watching back then knows the kind of heat and the kind of uh, instigation that Shawn Michaels could really get out of, a, uh, out of the crowd. He could really instigate them into just near riots at times. And he said, well, if that's what you want. You're going to get it. And boy, did we get it. And I'm so glad we did. Why? Shawn never got stale. I mean, the fact his ring performances alone kept him fresh no matter what had happened. And I like the fact that he still, despite the fact that he hadn't been uh, a heel for quite some time, was still able to tap in to that aspect of himself because he had been such a beloved babyface since returning in 2002, almost three years. Now, I'm not saying, of course, well, I'm not saying he'd forget how to play a heel, but... It's just amazing how he eased back into that role so well. Now, some would say Sean was more a tweener in this feud. Uh, well, clearly, I think they established him as more of the heel, but he didn't exactly denounce his fans or didn't, other than the stuff he was spouting towards Hogan, wasn't really playing up the heel persona that way. He was a heel on Hogan, and that was about it. And Hogan's fans, maybe, but really, uh, but still, the pro some of the promos he was cutting was like 1997 Sean. And I'll get to the big one, and you all know what I'm talking about in just a little bit. Now, at this point, rumors had started also swirling about a man, of course, who has history with Shawn Michaels. That, of course, Brett the Hitman Hart. Brett, around this time, would agree to uh, be a part of the production of this DVD, chronicling uh, his career, plus, of course, other DVDs featuring many of his great matches that he's had over the course of his career. So the rumors even sort of swirling more, saying how, oh, wonder if he's going to get involved. And it's true, they did. And you know what? The WWE, they did not, they did not ignore those rumors. And I'll get to that, that's for sure. 
Yeah, Michaels' obnoxiousness, though, in this feud was superb. Now, everybody remembers two specific uh, segments. But the one that does get overlooked is their face-to-face uh, -face confrontation they had on Raw, where uh, Bret Hart was referenced by Hogan, which was almost kind of strange to the fact that Bret doesn't like Hogan, and it was already well known at this point that he didn't. And Sean's smug look during this entire segment just cracks me up every time. And I remember despising 1997 Shawn Michaels, but I didn't mean I wasn't thoroughly entertained by him either. To be honest with you, I didn't really truly despise Shawn until the screw job happened. Oh yes, just to remind you all, there will be an episode on that. Two parts. But the way just he carried himself and the way he's carrying this feud truly is a testament to his skill as a performer. We all know how great in the ring he is. That goes without saying. But again, you're carrying a main event feud. A dream match build up. And look, when Hogan was there, he did his part, whatever. That, that, that was what it was. It's not as if... I'm, I know it sounds like I'm being dismissive of Hogan, but really, it, to me, it's factual that Sean carried this feud. And gave it that enticing feeling. So. Then we're going to now zero in on the two segments. That everyone remembers. Of course there was the Shawn Michaels impersonation of Hulk Hogan. On Larry King Live. That was some good stuff. It was, such over, it was over the top. But it, again, even over the top can be done right. And Michaels is the type of guy that can do that right. We've seen how over the top he could be again in 97 with DX. And he managed that here. But it, again, despite being over the top, he was still getting those jabs in on Hogan. And the whole feud was being based around a couple certain things. One, Shawn Michaels going out there and performing every single night, being the best and trying to test Hogan's mortality as a legend because Michaels felt at this point, at least this is how I interpreted it, that he was the bigger legend for the fact that he could bring the house down every night. Where it seemed that he was resentful of Hogan because Hogan had built such a great legacy by doing very little, by not performing in the smaller towns. And Sean felt that he could make Hogan, well, mortal again. He felt that he could beat the best. It made perfect sense. Sean resented Hogan for many things, and you know what? Those things were valid from his end, from a character standpoint. The Larry King segment, again, it, it, it it's hilarious. Like, I, I guess I'll laugh <laughs> when he enters on the walker and almost falls, or the back cramp uh, segment, or the... Uh, or the super kick to Larry King, where then Sean finally, after being over the top for a few minutes, and 
being comedic, he gets serious. So that again, it was handled with such greatness from Shawn Michaels. This segment, you have to check. I can't do it justice. You have to check it out for yourself. Yes, it was played up for comedy, but it also sold the feud. So after that, of course, the go home raw. And again, you all know where I'm going with this. How fitting is it in one of the biggest headlining matches of Sean's career that the go home show for SummerSlam, the go home raw, I should specify, is in Montreal. And oh, yes, a lot of you already know what I'm talking about. Again, I'm going to do, I'm going to obviously go over this in long form. The Montreal screw job. Bret Hart, screwed over by Vince McMahon. Shawn Michaels was in the match with him. It was matching Bret and Shawn. Vince screwed him over. Shawn was in on it, so pretending he wasn't for many years. And Montreal and all of Canada pretty much despised Shawn Michaels from there on in. Of course, he's got what they call nuclear heat in Montreal. And I'm I'm probably paraphrasing here, but that line gets on the mic as Mo- the city of Montreal's booing him out of the building. Montreal, who's your daddy? Like so, right then and there, he's just off to the races and cuts a fantastic promo again. I can't do it justice, but the heat he is getting in this promo is magnificent. And to top it off, Bret Hart's music hits now again. Bret at this point. Had agreed to do the DVD, like I mentioned earlier. So his he had an association again with WWE. As loose as it may have been, he was still associating with them for the first time in close to eight years. And the place just, he was one of the biggest pops you ever heard for a wrestler that never entered the building. Sean had that worried look on his face, and of course it was all a ruse. Just brilliant, just brilliant. And he does it again with Hogan later, even though the reaction's... Still loud, not quite the same, but it still had. He's still goading the crowd into booing him even more, putting putting even more heat on him. And then at the end of the show, again, it sets it up perfectly. He puts Hogan in the sharpshooter, and I, as a fan, now want Sean to lose. Remember, I was torn at first. I want Sean to lose now. I was watching that segment at my parents' place. I was still living there at the time on Naples Boulevard. And I was ready for it. I was ready for SummerSlam. I was ready to see Hogan and Michaels because I'm like, it's the first time ever. I love dream matches. Again, that's a big thing I mark out for, dream matches, especially with guys I grew up watching. These, these two are definitely fitting in that category, of course. And I still in the back of my head thinking Bret Hart might show up. I was hoping. I was hoping. So then came SummerSlam. I remember I watched this at uh, QB Sports in Burlington. It's a sports bar. I was there with my uh, friend Kyle McCluskey. I mentioned uh, a bit in my King of the Ring uh, podcast. That's episode two in the archives. Um, I also, I believe, was there with my friend Sarah at the time. 
I think it was just the three of us. At this point, my good friends, uh, Jeff Taylor and John Forjack, uh, was kind of growing apart from them. We're growing, growing apart from each other in that way. And they had uh, kind of distanced themselves from wrestling as a whole. And that's fine. It happens. But what I hated as at the time was they were distancing themselves from me as a whole. Thinking, quote, I was holding them back from enjoying life. And that they needed to make certain changes. Uh, they would hang out together and lie to me about it without calling me. I would find out about it. Then they'd have some stupid excuse. You know, we just need a break from you for once in a while. And, you know, again, that stuff did hurt. It was it hurt. I was going through a time where I was questioning a lot of friendships. Again, I'm only 22 at this point. I'm still going to church quite a bit. Um, I was uh, so close friends uh, with Adam. Adam, my, 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 one of my good friends, Adam Powell and uh, Mike Ayotte. And you know what? Those guys were not wrestling fans. As a matter of fact, they made fun of me constantly for it. Uh, they poked fun at the fact that I was so passionate about it. They poked fun at the fact that uh, I was such a diehard for wrestling. And there were times they didn't make me feel bad about it. Or at least, you know, they mean, not my next, that's the wrong term. They made me feel like uh, a certain way. They made me feel a certain way that it, it just made me feel dejected times. I know at times they were kidding, but there were times they'd take it a little too far and then they'd get serious. Uh, however, another good friend at the, that church, uh, Dan Piper, uh, I had, uh, he already liked, he already liked a bit of wrestling at that point, but I, I helped get him into it a little more. And Dan was the definition of a good guy. And you know what? So he was never that way. Even he was poking fun at me about something, he never did it in a mean-spirited way. He'd actually do it in a funny way. And, again, he was a true good guy, one of the best guys I've ever known in my life. And uh, we started enjoying wrestling in that together. I was always hoping to get him to come out for pay-per-views. Probably he was such a devoted Christian. I'm not saying that condescendingly. He really, really was. And so he was at church in the evening. So I used to just I didn't, I skip church in the evenings to watch pay-per-views usually, which, again, I was criticized for heavily. So I'm at, I'm watching a pay-per-view at uh, QB Sports in Burlington. We have a booth, and I'm looking forward to this. Now, uh, I'll obviously maybe do a separate show on it in the future. Maybe talk about it, because I, I want to talk about the Matt Hardy Edge feud on an episode later, too. But SummerSlam 2005 was actually a really good show, from what I can recall. Uh, again, the Matt Hardy Edge feud was red hot at that point. Um, Benoit squashing Orlando Jordan was amusing. Granted, the Rey Mysterio-Eddie Guerrero storyline was, was what it was about the custody of Dominic. But you know what? Those two committed to it. Okay? And by this payoff, the crowd was invested. So they did something right. Uh, Randy Orton evened up uh, evened up at 1-1 one one with The Undertaker after losing at WrestleMania. Uh, Cena beat Jericho. Batista just dominated JBL. So the show had its highlights for sure. And then, of course, they stayed Hogan and Michaels for last. No big surprise there. So what we learned later on is that Hogan and Michaels was supposed to be a three-match series. With the two of them winning a match apiece and then the rubber match. Hogan, however, felt he should win all three. That don't work for me, brother. So basically, we had WCW Hogan for this whole scenario. 
Now, crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. We had Hogan acting like WCW Hogan, at least backstage anyway, and Shawn Michaels acting like 1997 Shawn Michaels, both around the same era here. Now, Shawn, despite his promos, however, was apparently grateful to be in the ring with Hogan. At least he would say that later. He was grateful to have this opportunity to build up to the smash and, you know, do really well with it and see what he can do with it. And that's another thing people are looking forward to, too. Would Sean be able to get, like, a really good match out of Hogan? So, as we're getting ready for the match, too, again, like I said, I'm watching this at QB Sports. I've been reading online. I've been telling, I was telling this to Kyle, too. I said, there's been a lot of rumors. Apparently, Hogan's not happy with some of the stuff Sean's been saying in his promos about him. Uh, he's, I guess, a little pissed off. Apparently, he was okay with everything, I guess. And then, that was it. Like, you know, it was, apparently, Hulk was not happy with the way things were going. And that seems to be a big thing with Hulk. If he's not happy about something, then, well, he's, he's not going to do the business that others want him to do. And again, like I said, I'm a Hulk Hogan fan, above all. Like, again, I am a Hulk Hogan fan. But, Obviously, there have been so many stories that have come out about him in in uh, in, in all these years, all these recent years. It's more so connected to how he was. Again, when people, I find a pattern when people talk about Hogan burying them or holding them back, like in the eighties or nineties. To me, it just comes off as bitterness. Whereas a lot of guys, and this is, again, the, the, that's, a, that's a minority group, though, however. That's a very minority group. The majority of people who wrestled in the 80s with Hogan liked him, and they liked working the cards with him because they knew they were going to make some money, even if they weren't exactly re- like wrestling him in the main. Uh, being, just being on the same show with him, a lot of them had said that, well, we're going to make some money. It wasn't really until Bret Hart in 1993 had that big gripe. But again, looking at all sides of that story, even including Hogan's, I kind of agree with Brett's assessment that he was kind of um, put in between a game of uh, politics between Vince and Hogan and just found himself right smack dab in the middle. Yeah. So that's possible with Hogan standing with the company at that point. It's very much possible that Brett got caught in between a game. I mean, it's not impossible at all. So it wasn't really until that point, at least the, the research I've done, Thinking that Hogan had that kind of uh, attitude towards him. To me, the negative stories about his politics and backstage power didn't really come to the surface until his time in WCW. So I can understand that much, at least. Like, I've heard a lot of main event wrestlers say how they need to protect their brand, they need to make sure they're making money, and that's obviously understandable. But yet, I think a three-match series with Hogan and Michaels, especially if one of them, there was one, I don't know how true this rumor is, there was a rumor to be a cage match, which would make sense. I would, I would think that a Hogan-Michaels series would have to stay a little fresh with uh, like a stipulation match. And I think a cage match would actually be perfect. If that is true, then I think that's, that would be the right payoff. They each win one match, the ones, one, each win a straight one-on-one match, have the payoff be in a cage match. And Shawn Michaels' attitude at this point, despite the fact that his character was acting like 1997 Shawn, he was still, as a person, 2005 Shawn. I'm sure even if he had lost the payoff match, 
that he wouldn't have minded that. I'm just willing to guess. I'm guessing here. But judging by Sean's attitude in this this era, I obviously I, I don't think he would have thrown a fit about putting over Hogan in the in the third match. But Hogan wanted to win all three. Apparently, that's what the story as a story goes from some, including Sean, and so they just said they just had one instead. It was going to be here at SummerSlam. So. I am like in deep anticipation for this match. Now I'm there. I finished my food by this point. I'm looking at Kyle. And I'm just like, here we go. He could tell I was psyched for this. And I'm like looking at the screen intently. I'm actually wearing my Hulkamania shirt. There are a few people in the bar that night wearing the Hulkamania shirt. There was a large crowd at the bar. So the last couple of pay-per-views have actually had poor crowds at QB sports. Cause they were showing pay-per-views monthly. This was a large crowd on here for this one. I think also too, cause it was SummerSlam as a whole. And a lot of kids were there wearing their Cena and Batista shirts. Cause this was an all ages event. So they were ready for this. So I'm watching this match. And right off the opening bell, Sean is selling like mad. He is bouncing around more than an orange rubber ball that you would get out of a gumball machine. And both right away, Kyle and I actually look at each other. Now, Kyle was a wrestling fan, was a very big wrestling fan. And he wasn't as passionate about it as I was. And I'm not saying that as a knock on him. He'll, he'll be the first to tell you that. Uh, he knew something was up. He's like, what was that? I'm just thinking, I don't know. So as we're watching the match, and we're watching Sean bounce around. And I'm thinking, I've read these rumors now for a couple weeks. And I'm, I'm kind of like, do you think he's doing this on purpose? And Kyle said... Perhaps, he said, he, he's like, it would make perfect sense if Sean's pissed off at Hogan's backstage whining, if that all that's true. So as we're watching the match, now again, unpopular viewpoint. I like this match. I did. You know what? Sean was trying to do the thing where, in a way, people were would always like sell oversell for Hogan at times. And Hey, I, I was told even by, by my trainer overselling is better than underselling, but it's almost as if Sean was proving a point here about his performance as, as his skill level as a performer compared to Hogan's. Obviously I would have to think Sean was not happy with the way things had gone down. There have been people, again, Sean's alluded, alluded to this himself, that he was trying to be like 1997 Sean in this match. Now, 1997 Sean did exaggerate a lot. He did oversell. But I watched a lot of those moments, and yet, despite his overselling back then, he wasn't, it, did, it just didn't seem like he was trying to make anyone look bad. I'm not saying that that was, I guess we'll never fully know if he was trying to make Hogan look like a fool here, or just kind of make a statement saying, oh, you want me to sell for Hogan? Fine, I'll sell for Hogan. I don't know. I'm not in Sean's brain. To me, this was still a little more over the top than his 1997 selling. Just a little bit more. To me, there's there was still a way where it was believable in 97. Here, it was just crazy. But and I still enjoyed this match. It actually still told a really good story overall. And Hogan did fine. Hogan was obviously having a lot of he has a lot of knee and hip issues, which are plaguing him right to this day now, obviously, as he's gotten older, as he's pushing 70. 
point, Hulk's, uh, I just turned 52. So even Hulk was trying to bring it. I got to give him credit there. And it's, like I said, it's still told an overall good story, whether, whether regardless of what Sean's motives were or not, whether they were good or bad, or whether he was really trying to be like 1997 Sean in the ring as well, besides on the microphone. He, again, he, this match had, the crowd was right into it. When the crowd chanted, we want Brett, because again, people were hoping Brett would show up. There were rumors about Brett showing up. And those were just cheap rumors. There wasn't really a lot of validity to them, but be that as it may, we were all hoping. I was hoping. So Sean kind of glares at the crowd. I remember it was a great spot. He says, just, just looks around and said, you want Brett? And goes in the ring, gets Hogan the sharpshooter, and that pissed off everyone. I have to say, sh- like, again, Brett has criticized a lot of people the way they put out the sharpshooter on. Sean did, does, has done it okay at times. He's actually done it pretty good. He does it on Hogan. The crowd is livid. They're waiting for Brett to come out. Obviously, he doesn't. And the sell of the boot, though. Again, people that remember that famous gift, the, the sell of the... I don't know if that's, that's how you pronounce it. Whatever. The uh, sell of the boot, <laughs> just the way Sean did it, was unbelievable. To me, again, like I said, regardless of the motives, it made the match all that more memorable. Hogan hit the big leg, got the win. Hogan was bloody this whole... I forgot to say Hogan, Hogan bladed in this match. Big time. He was... Yeah, he was wearing that crimson mask. It added a little extra to it. And Hogan got the win. Sean shook his hand saying, all he said was, I had, I had to know. And that was it. Well, actually, no, wait, that wasn't it. The next night on Raw, Sean comes out. Now, again, I'm watching Raw now. With my buddy Tom Washington. I'm jumping the gun here a bit. So, big moment here for me at QB Sports as the show ends. I meet two wrestling fans who would later become good friends of mine at that time. I met uh, my friend Heather and her group of friends because they, because uh, we would kind of like. During these, I gotta I gotta paint the picture. So during these uh, like a pay per view gatherings at the bars, you interact with other people at tables. Kind of you know you hear them say comment. It's not eavesdropping. You just you can obviously hear them within they're within earshot. You'll you'll respond to them, and that's what we we do there, and we did that all night with her table. So I met her and her friends. That was really cool. Uh, Heather would become a pretty good friend of mine for the next few years. And um, after the Undertaker Randy Orton match. I ran into a guy who we I referred to as Taker Clone uh, because he was like you know he wasn't a complete clone obviously it was like he was like almost like Taker's mini me he had long red hair he was like long wavy red hair red goatee lots of tattoos looked like a biker actually had a leather vest so there you go and. We're lining up because there was actually a lineup in the men's room. It's a wrestling paper. It's going to be primarily men. Uh, we're lining up, and he just looks at me in, uh, at, the, at the Undertaker Orton match. He's wearing his uh, one of his Undertaker shirts. Like, so, what'd you think of the match? Always, him and I have always seen each other. Like, I'd seen him there for the better part of a year, and uh, we we talked about it a little bit while we're waiting in line. And I said, "Oh, I said, I, was a, I said that was a bit of a surprise with Bob Orton there. I didn't think he'd interfere again. I stuff like that." So after that. Uh, the man's name is Paul Cellini, and he became a very good friend of mine uh, for the next 
better part of a decade, actually. He's a, I later found out he's a musician in a band, a drummer. He's actually been a professional musician, has done session work uh, in Nashville and Los Angeles. He and I became really good friends. It's not only in wrestling we had a lot in common, but we had a lot in common on things like in entertainment, music. And even when we didn't, we'd have spirited, like, spirited discussions about them, and it was always fun. So two, I met two very good two people who become very good friends of mine. So that was a big night for me as well in that regard. I almost forgot about that. So the next day, so I'll get to that. We were watching Raw at uh, my buddy Tom Thamelis' place. I mentioned Tom a lot in my uh, King of the again, episode two of King of the Ring, uh, 2001. Tom, very overhyper, but at this point he's losing interest in wrestling. Now, I'm going to talk a lot about friendships in these podcasts because that's part of the bond that I have. All these people, was, wrestling was a big part of it. So we're watching Rod at Tom's. Sean cuts a promo. Sarcastically, again, I am, I'm paraphrasing here, but sarcastically saying, I fell to the mighty big boot, boot and the big leg drop, and now I fell to Hulkamania. Now kind of back to reality kind of thing. Sean was totally condescending. and I don't want to say buried Hulk, but it was close to it. Uh, but in a way, I'm like, you know, Sean was decided that I was cheering for Hulk in that match because I went shot the, the, the Raw Go Home show in Montreal. I was back on his side again. He was like, the heel, the heel thing was done. He was shooting with Chris Masters literally minutes later. There you go. That was it. And another big reason that Raw was a big thing. Again, fun. Tom Thamless had been a good friend of mine at this point for the better part of five years. We had a bit of a falling out uh, in uh, late 2000 and two, I want to say, for several months, and uh, we didn't reunite again for until early 2003, and we, we stayed friends after that. We still became close friends again. That was largely thanks to Kyle. Kyle kind of uh, helped with that in a lot of ways, and that that we watched the raw that night. We all got together at his house again. It was still summer. I left this house and didn't hear from him for nearly three years. For whatever reason, Tom distanced himself from most of us. Not all of us, but most of us. He would later reunite with Jeff and John, who at this point I wasn't talking to either around 2008 or so. When I ran into Tom at the mall, we actually had a discussion, and yeah, it was 08, I saw him again. We had a nice talk in the food court, and again, didn't hear from him for another two years. So then, 2010, I reunited with uh, all of them, John, Jeff, and John. I'll get to that in another podcast. So again, as, uh, my friendships were changing in a big way. And you know what? Um, some of it I regret, some of it I don't. Uh, I don't regret meeting Paul or Heather. They became, again, like I said, really close friends. Um, didn't talk to Paul for a few years recently. Uh, started talking to him again not a lot long ago. Had a little interaction with Heather not too long ago either. Again, we didn't talk for quite a few years, actually. And again, we didn't, we didn't have a falling out. Uh, it just happened. We just lost communication and lives went in different directions. It happens. You know what I mean? I think that's the thing with Tom, too. It's just Tom and I were so close. I think with Paul and Heather, it was gradual. But again, I was watching Raw at Tom's place. And I was still hanging out with Tom on a consistent basis. He was losing interest from wrestling. And I'm sad to say, I think because he was losing interest in it, that he thought because I was so passionate about it, that our friendship 
wasn't going to be the same. Maybe. I don't know. That might have been his mindset. I don't know. I'd have to ask him that one day. Because I don't, again, I don't. I haven't seen Tom much since he's been married. But at the same time, though, it's just like maybe it is very possible. Oh, wow. This has been another quite a trip down memory lane. I'm kind of getting, I'm veering off topic a little bit. I do like to bring up, obviously, my bonds and friendships with the people I enjoyed wrestling with over these years. But, you know, I can't always get too detailed, I guess. But I guess I did today. So, <laughs> sorry about that. But either way, um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about my old friends lately. And that's probably why I brought it up today. And you'll hear me talk about more of them on future podcasts. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Diary of a Wrestling Fan. Next week, we'll actually be talking about the first time I saw WrestleMania 3. And I'll give you a quick spoiler here. It wasn't when it happened. It wasn't until years later when I finally rented it on VHS and watched the whole show. That's going to be an exciting one, too. Yeah, experiencing one of the biggest cards in the history of professional wrestling years later on videotape in my room in an attic. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Well, thank you all once again for tuning in. Uh, I know there's a little, a few points here I was a little off today, but uh, thank you for bearing with me. So uh, until next time, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. If you're on YouTube. If you're listening on Anchor or Spotify, follow this podcast, please. And thank you or anywhere else you listen to podcast. So until then, quote a wise Hamiltonian when I'm telling y'all this is Bill Chase saying don't you dare miss it thank you for listening to Diary of a Wrestling Fan with Bill Chase if you'd like to make a contribution to the show just sign Bill's online petition to have Steve Blackman inducted into the Hall of Fame 